Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we're going to be talking to Dr. Adriana Sanford. She happens to be our Senior International Correspondent for Corporate Compliance and Ethics. Adriana is also a professor at Arizona State University and has a wealth of knowledge in privacy and international comparative law. Adriana, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. And uh, hello from Lou. How are you? Thank you. Good, good. Well, Esmeralda, if you would give our listening audience kind of a general uh, description of what's happening. I know it's in the news a lot, but I just want to make sure everybody understands what's happening between Apple and the FBI. Sure. We right now are facing a legal battle, and Apple has been asked to provide the FBI with a tool. that is not currently in existence to access iPhone information. And this request has been made on more than one occasion for different investigations. There's two investigations right now that have come to the forefront. One of them involves the San Bernardino case, and the second one is a case in New York. Uh, it was a drug case where the FBI was requesting similar information. The San Bernardino case um, involved a deadly act of terrorism, and in that particular case, the FBI uh, won the, the court case in California, and the judge ordered that this, act, this tool be made available for the FBI. The, that case has really heated up and has caused a lot of uh, controversy. Um, it's been in the news a lot. The other case, which actually... Apple won yesterday, they won a victory, was uh, involved in providing a similar tool for the FBI in a drug case. And in that particular case, the judge said no, that this was uh, not within what could be requested of a company to create additional software. So right now we are looking at Apple going before Congress today, and uh, the FBI is discussing this issue, which obviously is of great concern to everybody because it involves our privacy and our security. Now, I just want to bring up the point that Lou and I were shocked at in an earlier show when we talked with you about privacy. We appreciate your area of expertise in privacy, and, and we learned that in the United States you have a reasonable expectation of privacy as a citizen. In the European Union, you have an absolute right to privacy. Can you kind of explain to our audience the difference between those two? Because I know that's going to come up a little bit later in the show. Right. The, the big difference is that in the United States, we don't view privacy as a fundamental basic human right. And it is viewed that way in the EU. As a result of that, after the Snowden revelation, the EU for the last four years has been drafting and negotiating what is called the EU Data Protection Regulation. And about after 3,000 amendments, this has now been adopted by their uh, EU Parliament, their Council, and the Commission. That is expected to come into force uh, here in the near future. And all companies that are doing business with the EU um, or monitor EU citizens or market to EU citizens are expected to comply. Um, it's proposed to enter into force by 2018, and businesses will have two years to adopt it or face severe sanctions. The issue with this is, you know, after the known revelations, the EU has been very critical of our U.S. tech companies and 
On one occasion, they stopped the contract with Verizon. The German government stopped using Verizon because they were concerned that their privacy would not be respected if a request was made by the U.S. government. So the Apple case is very important for numerous reasons. One, it affects our personal information, you know, potentially affects our personal and private information and our, our rights to privacy, but also it can affect our tech company because if this goes forward and the U.S. government is able to force this issue, it might uh, create issues for our tech companies in business in Europe. The, uh, Europeans may not be purchasing these phones or they may be banned from using them in Europe because they're not, uh, the concern is privacy. Privacy will not be respected. So, Adriana, let's take this Apple versus the FBI coin and stand it on its edge and have you explain, if you would, to our listeners both sides of the coin. Apple's point of view, the FBI's point of view, if you could, please. Sure. Apple's point of view is that there's a need for encryption in the world today. We've seen serious attack attacks, you know, coming at us for the last uh, few years, and they involve, you know, our, our financial information, our photos, our health, everything. And so there's a real need for us to protect our information. And what Apple did was they created this uh, iPhone, this smartphone, and basically it, uh, it protects all of our information to the point where even if it's even, the data is even out of reach of a, of, of Apple's hands, and the only way to access it would be by creating software. Now, they are concerned about this because they said if we open this up and allow software that can actually go into it, we don't know who might be able to access that. And later on, we may have more hack attacks, we may have issues with regards to this, not to mention other countries have similar access. Now, the FBI on the other side is very concerned and uh, because what's happening is U.S. law enforcement is facing tremendous challenges in their efforts to keep us safe. And they are concerned with the possible ramifications of this encryption exposure where everybody's trying to keep everything safe and, and secure. Um, they may not be able or they may be uh, in a difficult situation of trying to uh, track criminals and terrorist groups. And they may go dark by using encryption technology and actually get the attention of the U.S. law. So they're concerned and properly so, is that this technology, this encryption, may be used in a, in a very dangerous way that could affect our safety. And so they're fighting for the ability to get into it and be able to monitor um, in dangerous situations and sensitive cases, like, such as this terrorist case, and some of these criminal uh, cases that involve drugs. Because as we know, sometimes when you're dealing with drug investigations or any kind of criminal activity, money laundering, it's tied to terrorist financing. So you never really know exactly what you have until you have to get into it. Um, in the past, the FBI has been able to get this information. And in this case, the San Bernardino case, they were, Apple was giving them all the information that they had. In this particular case, though, this is not information that Apple has, and this is a new software that would need to be created in order to get this additional information. So both sides, I mean, you have to balance your privacy and security. And, you know, we need to make, I guess, a, a judgment call as to how to approach this issue because it concerns us on both ends. But when we're looking at this, we need to look at it from a global perspective because it will have strong repercussions or strong impact on a global scale. Uh, China is the second largest customer that uh, Apple has, and I think it was last year they made $59 billion in sales in iPhones and Apple products. And yes, of course, that's going to affect if the ruling 
is in favor that the FBI and, and Apple has to create software, that will affect their sales. But it's not really only about affecting your sales. It's about the ability of another government, for example, the Chinese government, being able to use that to then access information. Um, once a request is made by one government and it's granted, there's going to be enormous pressure from other governments. And in some cases, those governments don't have a democracy or they're very aggressive. And it could result in human rights violations. You know, you've got a lot of people out there that may be affected by this decision, not only in the United States. And that's a very interesting point. You also brought up that this information that we have on iPhones, if I have an individual iPhone, that information is out of the reach of Apple. The way that Apple will iOS 8 is that they put their uh, encryption software on the phone, and they themselves cannot access what's on the phone unless they break their own code. And I guess that's what they're being asked to do by the court order that the FBI secured. Is that right? That is correct. That is actually what the CEO, Apple CEO, uh, stated in a message to their customers on February 16th. And they said, even if this information is even, we don't even have access to it. It is out of our own reach uh, because we believe the contents of your iPhone are none of our business. So at this point, they don't have access, and in order for anyone to gain access, software needs to be created. A special tool will need to be created. Okay. And the concern is, if this actually, if this actually goes through, it won't just be Apple that's affected. It will be other companies that have encryption, and you know, U.S. companies that may fall into a similar situation where the government needs to investigate and request something like this. So it will not only affect Apple, it could affect Google, it could affect any one of these other companies that has, you know, this kind of encryption or encryption. I'd like to ask a question regarding um, the data that goes from your phone into the clouds. Um, and how, does, how is all this uh, viewed in terms of uh, security? If they manage to get into your phone, uh, what about the clouds? The information is there as well. That's probably easier to get into than your phone. Well, this is the issue right now that we have had, and, you know, and it's, it's kind of like the Microsoft case. In that case, we've got the um, Microsoft was a similar request that was made to Microsoft by the U.S. government for emails. Emails were stored in Dublin. In that particular case, it's data. It's not stored here. But because the U.S. government had requested it, the court said, yes, go ahead and give it to them, and Microsoft is in contempt of court. The chief legal officer and president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, um, responded last week to a question regarding Apple's legal case as part of the testimony before the U.S. Uh, House Judiciary Committee. And that hearing was titled International Conflict of Law Concerning Cross-Border data, data Flow and Law Enforcement Requests. Uh, the big concern there is what Smith uh, is saying is cases like this, like the Apple case and the Microsoft case, the Apple case is going to perceive that it may result in conflict of laws in the future in the foreseeable future because if we allow for this privacy, this this, uh, this ability to go into this phone, this may create an issue in Europe, it may create an issue in other parts of the world. So for cases like this, what the chief legal officer for Microsoft is saying is we should really have an international legal process for analyzing these cases, not a domestic, uh, U.S. domestic 
uh, process because it involves conflicts of laws or potentially involves conflicts of laws. And we really need to be working with our allies to make sure that our tech companies later on are able to do business in these other countries. Otherwise, it will affect our economy, it will affect our businesses, our executives, it will affect everyone. So we don't have that in place right now, and the laws that we have in place are, have not been updated um, our privacy laws, our, our laws regarding data protection. We have basically a patchwork since the hack attacks of different states coming up with laws to try to regulate and to try to protect our U.S. citizens. We really need to look at this more on a federal level, create some federal laws, and that's one of the reasons that um, Apple and Microsoft are going before Congress. Now, I know, Andrea, you mentioned that it can affect our executives. Uh, I just want you to be clear with our listening audience. In the case, for instance, of Tim Cook, the court order orders Apple to create the backdoor into the iOS 8. How does that put Tim Cook in possible jeopardy? Well, it, it, what it's doing is it's really affecting his his reputation. I'm listening right now to the radio, you know, and they're talking about the fact that Cook supports terrorism. No, Cook does not support terrorism. The problem is the a lot of the information that's out there is basically pinning Apple as being anti-American and um, and really focusing on the fact that Apple is doing this for their sales and marketing, and that's not the case. I, I in my opinion. In this case, it's a very complex um, case. It's, a, it's an ethical dilemma, and we need to look at it with a global perspective. I think that's what you're doing. You know, I view him more as a conscientious inter, uh, intellectual that sees this from in, a, a global view, you know, a global perspective, and the major repercussions it can have on our trade agreements, on our fundamental rights, and you know what we're trying to do to prevent hack attacks. From a, uh, another perspective, I mean, we're hearing uh, comments from the general public and people who are supposedly in the know that uh, the information, you know, how does it affect you? You know, I, there's nothing secret about my phone, and I don't care if they go onto my phone. Meanwhile, uh, being that our listeners are from the manufacturing world, I think that if they do have that thought, they have to think about this a little bit deeper. And that is that they have uh, automated their manufacturing equipment to the point that they are using all types of computers, including iPads, to run their machines. And uh, if these machines uh, can be hacked or can be opened, uh, we are opening ourselves to a, a, a colossal manufacturing or potential collapse. Uh, what's your thought on that? Is there any reality in, in that thinking? Well, that's always a concern: is who can get into this, this, who can who can actually get into our our information once the back door is made. And it has been argued that it potentially could allow for an attack, a hack attack. Um, I, like you, don't have an issue with the FBI looking at my information, especially if it's regarding you know the fight against terrorism, but. We are not only looking at it from, you know, the U.S. perspective and, and, and from law enforcement, we're looking at it from a hack attack, and we're also looking at it as, you know, what is our responsibility to the rest of the world? What about those 
uh, human rights activists in, in, in other countries? What about um, the whistleblowers that are out there? You know, there are people that could be in a lot of danger if their information is, uh, is accessed. And that's why this has become a, a human rights issue as well. It's an emerging human rights issue and should be analyzed with a broader perspective than just U.S. law for that, from that angle. From the manufacturer's angle, sure, we have concerns that this information could reach the wrong hands and could potentially create other issues. We always have that concern. And that's one of the reasons these companies, and especially um, with regard to the EU data protection regulation coming out, we're trying to get privacy by design and privacy by default on the table so that companies will take this into consideration whenever they're creating anything, any new software, any new technology. So if I understand you correctly, Adriana, uh, the solution to this is a international one. Meanwhile, iPhones uh, is uh, an Apple is uh, in a quandary where they've already been ordered by the court to do what they need to do. Uh, the way I see it, this thing can drag on for maybe years. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, what I'm hoping will happen is that Congress will take a look at this and maybe we will start to see new laws here for us, for our companies, uh, with regards to data protection and, and privacy. So that would be number one. And number two, I hope in the near future, we, we, we recently saw the umbrella agreement between the EU and the U.S. where they tried to come up with an agreement uh, since until the Microsoft case is resolved where we can actually feel comfortable, companies can feel comfortable again in working with the EU and the EU can feel comfortable with American companies. Um, that's in the process. But just like we're trying to negotiate these deals with the EU, I really think we should sit down and discuss, the government should sit down the strategy that they want to adopt for combating terrorism on a global scale. and. In that, we can talk about privacy and the different approaches. We can't change our approach. It's, you know, right now we're, we're fighting terrorism, and I don't really expect the U.S. to change their approach or the EU, but at least we need to come up with a strategy where we will not put our companies or our executives um, in the middle or in the predicament like we have right now. This is really not a case about Apple, but it's a case about our companies in general and, and the role that they need to take. And that kind of a decision should be made. Whatever we adopt, whether it is to take this tool or make this tool, we need to be sure that we understand all of the possible ramifications, the impact of those, of those actions. This opens up a whole other uh, aspect, and that is that we have basically a dysfunctional Washington, and uh, they can't vote on yesterday's weather was. How are they going to uh, vote on... Um, laws that either protect us or jointly in some kind of collaboration between us and other countries, how are they going to ever get together and, and accomplish that? Uh, with the help of the private sector, you know, the tech industry um, is really the, the place I think that has been pushing for this. And, you know, as, as the people, as the American public starts to realize the importance of this, the FBI, the DOJ already knows the, the importance of, of this information because they, they're the ones that are out there trying to capture, trying to blast the terrorists. So this is on the forefront. We need to do something about it now. And the question is how do we do this in a way that will not affect the private sector, that will not affect our tech companies, and allow 
individuals to have privacy, but balance that against our, our security. Because obviously we, we, we value our security and, and fighting terrorism is, is number one um, in everyone's book, but we want to try to save and, and protect the fundamental rights and the fundamental rights of other countries and, and, and individuals. Is anyone talking about a uh, methodology that can be done quickly and efficiently? Well, Brad Smith from Microsoft has been talking about this, and I, I'm not privy to all the information, but what I can tell you is that he has realized and he has stated that we need an international process, legal process for this type of cases, uh, for these types of uh, situations. Now, where we're going to go with that or what's going to happen, I don't know, but at least it's out there. Does we have a new sense of uh, the European Union? and how they might be reading what's going on in this particular case. Do you have any sense one way or the other as to you know, what, where their thinking might be at? Well, I, I don't know what their thinking is regarding the terrorist threat and the approach that we're taking there. I can't really speak to that. Um, I know obviously terrorism is a concern to them as well. But the concern that I see is uh, they're, they're very much in tune to what's going on and listening. And um, it does concern them with regard to the privacy because for them this is, this is a big issue. And uh, it was one of the issues that uh, came as a result of the Snowden regulation. They did come up with new regulations to try to protect their privacy. So this is of great importance to them. And, and certainly in the Snowden revelations, we found out that our government was listening into conversations of uh, Angela Merkel from uh, Germany. So there were a couple other interesting revelations. And I noticed you've mentioned uh, terrorism, fighting terrorism. There are really two components there, at least, Adriana, as I read it. One is trying to prevent the terrorist act, really free. Two is following up after a terrorist act. And the third you've mentioned before, terrorist funding or funding for terrorist groups. What, uh, can you give our audience a, a feel for those issues as well? And, and you know, how do we address those things when we have absolute privacy in the, U, in the EU and a reasonable expectation of privacy in the USA and that we have, of course, terrorists running around the world trying to make everybody miserable? Well, I, I don't necessarily, um, I can't really give you a formula, but I can say that the first step would be to sit down with our allies and discuss, you know, our, our approaches and, and the information. I mean, we need to share information in these areas, and it has happened in the past with the terrorist attack in Paris. We had the FBI and we had uh, the French authorities immediately requested information um, from Microsoft, and in that case, they were able, I think within 45 minutes, we were able to get information regarding those terrorists. Um, so we have worked in the past together, the FBI, with the European authorities, and we've been very successful in, in combating terrorism. Um, that's what we need to see is more of that. So it has happened in the past. I do believe it will happen again. Um, we just really need to focus on on on, on coming together uh, for these issues. And in this particular case, I don't really see um, our U.S. government seeing the Apple case as an international case. They're seeing it more as a domestic case and not looking at the international ramifications, the international component. At least in my opinion, that's what I've seen. It may be changing now, but that's the concern that, that I have with this particular case. Now, with regard to terrorist financing, um, and, and, and 
spotting it before it actually happens, we really need to look at the funding. The financing is used with money laundering, which can be done in enormous ways in different parts of the world. And right now we have 41 countries under the OECD that are going to be ratifying and amending their laws in order to combat uh, corruption and money laundering. So we're going to see a lot of changes there. We're going to see right now our companies are facing multi-jurisdictional requirements, multi-jurisdictional legislation, sometimes competing, sometimes conflicting, some with extraterritorial reach. It's become a jungle out there for them. And that is a great concern for our companies and our executives. And we're going to continue to see this in everyone's efforts to combat terrorism. Money laundering, corruption, on many occasions, when you see it within companies, it can be linked to terrorism. And this originally started with one phone, and then you and I had a conversation after that, and it quickly jumped from one phone to, to the 13 phones? I'm not sure if it's 12 or 13, but yes, that, that was a concern as well. The FBI had said that we would limit it to one phone, and then uh, yesterday we saw that there was another request that had been pending for some time before the San Bernardino case, and that one was decided uh, with regards to accessing information for the drug the drug uh, investigation. So there are, I believe, a total of 12 right now, and there may be others. And there may be other companies and other investigations that come in the future. So the concern is that this will open up the door for other investigations. I think, that the judge, I think that the judge on the drug case turned it down. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That's, so, that's correct. So it was turned down yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Right, so in his ruling, Apple does not have to uh, break their iOS code and create a backdoor into their encryption software. The FBI is still pressing for that. Now, there's another concern here, Adriana, and it's both a good guy, bad guy concern. If the FBI gets a backdoor, doesn't the CIA, the NSA, the ABC, the XYZ also get the same backdoor? Well, you could argue that it would be narrowly tailored to the FBI, but the concern is other agencies, other individuals, including hackers, including other governments, could also gain access or eventually gain access. Some of them legally, some of them illegally, some of them, you know, other countries could put pressure once that is created, they could put pressure on Apple, and it would be very difficult for Apple to turn them down once this has already been created. Now, I know you asked uh, me and you and I had an interesting exchange before the show. What do you expect Apple might convey to Congress today? Well, I I think what they're going to say, and, you know, what I've seen Microsoft, you know, stating on behalf of uh, this case is is that this is really a case that involves uh, a balancing of privacy and security. And if we're going to make any kind of decision, if we're going to take any steps, we need to carefully weigh this. I mean, both issues are are important, and they're complex. This is not an easy case. And we don't have the laws in place. The laws are outdated with regards to privacy, with regards to data protection. And perhaps we really need to first focus on those laws, amend those laws, and then apply those laws. Right now we're applying laws that are outdated, and, and that doesn't really work. It's certainly outdated when they're applying the 19, sorry, 1789 All Risk Act 
Here's the you can explain to our listeners what the event of the 1789 All Rich Act is. Well, we, it, it was interesting because when we just had uh, Brad Smith talk about this, and there's a video out there on it on the internet regarding his position on this, and he said basically that for us to apply that, we are really missing out on the advancements that we've had since then. So I think he brought up a typewriter, or he brought up some kind of a, um, you know, a, a, the actual technology that we had back then, and said, you know, we've come a long way, and really this no longer applies, and it can be very dangerous to apply it without understanding the potential for abuse of this kind of technology and, and how it could affect us on a global scale. So the, we need something a lot more detailed, a lot more complex than what we have. Yes, I think the technology in 1789 would have been uh, the Paul Revere midnight rides uh, trying to deliver <laughs> mail, um, and nothing close to what we have today. Well, and you see, you see the EU Data Protection Directive that was actually drafted in 1995. The EU decided to amend their laws because they said that those were outdated after the Snowden revelations. So. Even the 1995 laws are out, maybe imagine how much more concern we have regarding our laws. Clearly. Andrea, anything else you want to share with our audience before we wrap up this segment? We certainly appreciate your expertise in talking to them. Well, what I'd like to say is, you know, we need to be careful when we're um, talking about companies and their executives and their approaches and why they do things. I, you know, it's, it's it's important to know that Apple has been and uh, collaborating and, and aiding the FBI in their investigations, and they do not support terrorism in any in any fashion, um, in any way. And when you listen to the media uh, describe what's going on, it's just uh, you know be careful because not everything you hear is correct. And uh, you know, in this particular case, you're dealing with a very complex ethical dilemma. And you've got companies, you've got, you know, the government, everybody's trying to work through this, and we're trying to balance and protect the American public and, and, and others. So it's, it's not one side is correct and one side is wrong. They're just, we're trying to figure out a way to, to tackle uh, terrorism and at the same time uh, not give up our privacy. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Adriana. We really appreciate you being on the show. Certainly, you are correct that uh, Tim Cook and his team are trying to do the best by the uh, USA. They don't support terrorism. It's a ridiculous and embarrassing statement for someone to make. Uh, they're trying to do their very best to work within our laws and international laws. Keep in mind, they sell millions of iPhones all over the world. They have to be concerned about EU laws, China laws, India laws. So it's not quite as simple as one phone, one time. Um, Adriana, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Adriana. Thank you. Uh, next week, uh, we have um, almost a continuation, sort of, uh, about today's topic. We are going to have uh, Drew Greenblatt, Chairman of the National Alliance for Jobs and Innovation, and Robert Rob McKenna, the former Washington State Attorney General, to talk about cyber attacks, piracy, and the theft of intellectual property as it relates to everything, including manufacturing. 
So tune into this, and um, Tim, I wish you a good week. And uh, thanks, Lou. Farewell. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. See you next week. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.